0: This is Rob Hopkins here in Glasgow for COP26. I'll be posting occasional tastes of conversations I've been having while I've been here that you might enjoy to give a flavour of who's here and what people are thinking for those of you unable to make the journey. So here are a few conversations I had on my first day. I'll let them introduce themselves, but we start with veteran climate activist and writer Bill McKibben. So the first question I asked him and the others was what would a successful COP26 look like for you?
1: Well, look, I mean, I hope nobody's counting on too much coming out of this or any other individual meeting. At this point, any kind of success in the climate fight looks like doing enough to keep the game alive. We're not going to solve this problem because the at this, you know, in any one stroke, because the power of the fossil fuel industry isn't yet sufficiently broken they're able to still exert their will in enough countries to keep us from including my own including to keep us from doing making change at the pace we need to be but so this is an opportunity to um up the pressure some you know um the game gets a little tighter with each passing year and eventually we're going to win this fight the only question is, will it still be a fight worth winning by the time we've 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 won it, you know. My name is Anthony Diaz. I'm
2: the co-founder of the Newark Water Coalition based out of Newark, New Jersey, in the United States of America. A successful COP would look like, uh, from my perspective, a deadline that has consequences. That if our governments fail to meet this deadline, that there are consequences either from themselves, other governments, or from the people.
3: Yeah, my name is Jacob Johns. I'm a community-supported organizer from Spokane, Washington. Yeah, I guess it would be uh, you know 100 100 net zero, and that means no greenwashing. Exactly, exactly that zero emissions. I mean, that would be a successful COP. Even a reduction, not not just not just saying that you're going to do, but actually submitting an NDC and following it through with that, so that your words are actually having some substance behind it. A lot of these politicians are just you know marketing themselves on being green without actually doing anything physically to make that actually happen. Yeah.
0: My name is Leila Salazar Lopez, and I'm the executive director of Amazon Watch. A successful COP would mean that the global governments would listen to the state of emergency that we are in and declare a global state of emergency, a global climate emergency. Um, Climate action is not enough if we do not take emergency action. Um, which the most important thing that we could do at this time is admit that we are addicted to fossil fuels and that we need to get off and we need to, if we don't have an agreement that, um, dramatically reduces extraction, continued extraction without offsets, without net zero, we are, um, we will not be able to stabilize our climate.
2: I think there can be no um, kind of test without any measurement and the thing is is that they have failed to meet deadlines in the past and nobody has held them accountable and now we don't have the time to waste for pleasantries and empty words so it's like well, where does the rubber meet the road we can't have these this like trickle down change the change has to come from the people and we know like I said uh, I just said in the speech earlier COVID has really showed me that that. Actually When the world wants to change, it can change. But the problem is we haven't put the priority on the climate. We put priority on money and profits. And so I see the COP as kind of like a place where people can just pat each other on the back for their empty promises and for big green companies to kind of come and tout their like terrible and evil solutions.
0: What I would like to see would be commitments to permanently protect forests like the Amazon rainforest. Um, without offsets, because offsets continue to allow those that destroy to pollute, to cut down, to extract, and we need moratoriums. Right? We need we need zero emissions. We need zero deforestation. We need permanent protection of the Amazon rainforest, and governments have plans to to do that by 2030 or 2050, and frankly, that's just too late. So we need emergency commitments, urgent, urgent emergency commitments, and I see the commitments that are being made coming into the COP tied to net zero, and that, Those are false solutions. Those are false solutions and our people know that. And that's why our people are in the streets and that's why our people are doing everything possible to be here or have done everything possible to be here. Um, And so we need to say what's really needed and what's really needed is a a declaration of a climate emergency, um, to make a commitment to keep fossil fuels in the ground, protect forests, which are, are one of our best chances for climate stability. The second question I asked was what should our activism look like going forward if COP26 fails to deliver what it needs to? What should we do?
1: So that's a very good question, and I think actually one of the important things about the COP is that it gives us an opportunity now to refocus on different places for a while. We've had to focus exclusively on politics headed into all of this, national politics to get our governments going in the right direction, uh, global politics, so on and so forth. That's important. Politics is one of the two levers large enough that if we were able to successfully pull it, it might make a difference but there's another lever too, and that's finance and money and capital. And we have to work equally hard on that, pulling that lever. So my guess is that for the moment, um, governments have shot their wad and we're not going to be making huge progress. And uh, I, I think it'll be hard to get governments to focus on climate change for the next while. So turn to this other set of targets we've had some success with things like divestment campaigning and now we need to go hard after the banks and that works beginning uh and it's not completely separate from the work on politics obviously politics and money are interlinked too but it is a different set of targets and they need to be we need to think about them coherently and go after them coherently so i'm going to back home we're going to be working a lot on banks, on big asset managers, and on insurance companies. And I think that that's going to be happening all over the world.
3: I think the system itself is built upon the people being working, and stopping that system of working—just work stoppages just alone, just full-on boycotts—would be significant. But that's like, you know, taking into a consideration, a lot of people don't have the luxury to be, you know, economically sound enough to say, "Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, do, stop working to work." You know, that's like a, a wealthy position to take on it. So, you know, in reality, we're looking at like, you know stopping the system and being non-compliant full-on until the Mets are demanding to succeed to the demands of the climate crisis and that's that's the most important thing
0: one we need to stay united one we need to we really need to stay united as a global movement for climate justice for social justice for environmental justice for racial justice we can't be siloed you know, we're not just talking, if if any, if we learned anything from this global pandemic is that our health is related to our environment and our environment is related to our health. And in order for us to be able to survive the growing crises that we face, we have to stay together um, and we have to intersect our movements, our issues, uh, and we have to stand with the front lines. You know, those of us who have the privilege to be here, those of us who have the privilege to travel, those of us who have the privilege to have a vaccine, need to to put our, ourselves on the line, to put our, our voices, you know, in solidarity with indigenous peoples, with people on the front lines.
2: Everybody always talks about a general strike and work stoppages, but I think that we can't demand that of a whole society. But what we can do is get people active. What I always try to tell my people in my community is become an active member of your community. Educate yourself on the issues. When you start doing that and when you start looking at the correlations between the dots and the rights of the things that we should have, then you'll become angry. Then you'll become willing to you know, probably move towards that general strike and I think when you stop kind of the flow of production, uh, at least in the States, that's what really happened during the first lockdown. And then they were like, no, we can't have this ever again. We need to keep this, this money machine working. So you have to attack the pockets. You have to go after the money. Uh, and I think there's multiple ways of doing that. And I'm one of those folks that believes that the game changes every day. And as long as you're flexible and adaptable in that approach, then that's a solution.
0: We need to keep saying our truths. We need to keep speaking out, you know, not just to ourselves. Continue to pressure those leaders, um, those governments, and also and and the corporations and the financial institutions, you know, because these banks and these financiers will not. Uh, we need to pressure them to stop financing destruction. And, you know, if we need to be in front of BlackRock every week, that's what we need to do, you know, because they are the biggest investors of climate destruction in the world. And so if, if that's what we need to do, then that's, that's what we need to do. Thanks so much to my guests here and to you for joining me. And uh, I'll do another one of these very soon.